Okay, so we're going to look at uh, Genesis 1 through 11. Um, today, so there's various ways that that uh, Genesis can be broken up. Um, one of the, the most sort of popular ways is with the, what is called the Toledoth formula. Toledoth uh, is the word is found eleven times, so um, it uh, is translated variously as these are the generations of, or this is the family um, history. Sorry, I was going to you. Missed all my insights. Okay, so we're going to be we're going to be looking at Genesis one through eleven. Uh, as I said, Book of Moses, and uh, there's it's known as the books of Moses uh, in the Old Testament and in the New. Jesus Himself said things like Moses said, um, and um, Paul did as well. So. It's not really a problem. Some authorships, some books, you know, people fight about it and, and debate about it, but not not with respect to the first five books of the Bible that Moses um, had something to do with them. It doesn't mean necessarily that he wrote every word. Um, he may well have taken other sources and edited them and put them together, but he's the person primarily responsible for the book of Genesis and the first five books. Uh, he obviously didn't write everything because the last part of Deuteronomy records his death. So uh, he didn't do that part. But um, he's the author of the audience. So this is very important. <clears throat> when we do a, a uh, study scripture, we, we need to realize that we are separated by thousands of years, especially with the old, especially with Genesis. We don't know how many years. It's not here, but we're separated by a long period of time um, and by a different culture. And so we have to do the hard work of first saying, okay, what did it mean to the original audience? Okay. Uh, what, because remember, Scripture is written not to us, but it is written for us. Okay. But nothing is written to us. There's not a letter to you know, Heritage Baptist Church or... It's written to the Corinthians at that time in history or to the Galatians. And Genesis is very important to understand the original audience. Otherwise, what happens is people jump straight away, especially the first few chapters of Genesis, people jump straight away to the argument about evolution. So what they do is they just take Genesis as being written to fight evolution, which is really a 20th century, 21st century problem. Uh, it was not a problem when Moses wrote it. Okay, nobody's thinking. Didn't even know space was. Yeah, they weren't thinking evolution. They weren't thinking those things. Was, everyone believed in gods or God, a god. Um, yeah, that, uh, yeah, all different things like that. So um, that that was not the argument. So when we take a jump straight away, you know, people start with you see it's six days and therefore and and they fight evolution that you're missing the original intent. It's not to say it's illegitimate to then apply it on a secondary implication, you know, therefore it means this, where we're at. But first start with the original audience. Now, who was the original audience of Genesis? Well, who wrote it? Wasn't it Israel? Moses. Yeah. Okay, so the original audience is Israel. In the wilderness, uh, we think probably, you know, during that 40-year period, remember, they were not allowed to enter the promised land because of uh, their disobedience. During that period, that's most likely when Moses puts together these five books. And so the original audience is the people who have come out of Egypt and their children uh, that they have in the wilderness. That's the original audience. Okay, and that's really important. And I think when you get that, it's, it's, it's really special. We'll start to see as we go through Genesis that... I'm going to get my notes. You carry on. Sure. 
you'll see that it actually, a lot of things that are said are really, oh wow, that makes a lot of sense for that original audience. Why does he talk about shepherds? Why does he talk about this? Why does he mention that? It, it, it uh, makes a lot of sense and it's really important. So, uh, that's the original audience and we want to do that all the time with, with Scripture. First, figure out what did, it, what did it mean for the original audience and then we do the work of, okay, what does it mean for us today? What's the application for us today? Because it is relevant. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's profitable for teaching, correction, rebuke, um, so that so that we can, yeah, uh, so that we can be trained in righteousness. So it's 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 still profitable for us, to, but uh, we want to interpret it correctly. Okay. Uh, so as I said, different ways that it can be divided up. The one that's popular is the Toledoth formula, which means these are the generations of. There are eleven occurs eleven times, and. Um, and so each section will begin with these are the generations of Adam. These are the generations of the heaven and the earth. These are the generations of this family and this family and this family. And so it can be a helpful uh, break in, in throughout the book. Another way that people do it is just say chapters 1 through 11 is what we call a primeval history. Not evil, like... E-V-I-L, the primeval, just the early history of man. And then 12 through 50 is the history of the patriarchs. What is the patriarchs? What is it? The, the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, so those are the, known as the patriarchs. Um, another way that you could break it up is also 1 through 11. But then you break the second part up a bit differently because uh, so you take 12 to 36 plus 38 as dealing with uh, the patriarchs while chapters 37 and then 39 to 50 deal with Joseph so you see that's now there's not an inspired way of breaking up books, okay? You just, you know, you, you, you think whichever one is most compelling or most helpful. Uh, in fact, you could use all of these. It doesn't really matter. I'm just showing you that um, one of the things that, that you do when you study a passage or study a book is to break it up into its sections, okay? Um, and we understand that with, with letters or with essays, there's an introduction, the main content, the conclusion, Okay, but Joseph actually takes a massive part. Yeah. Interesting, but we'll look at that next week. Lord okay, uh, Genesis 1, through, 1 to 11 includes four accounts, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah and Babel. Those are the four accounts that are included there. And it has some genealogies. Um, so we want to look at the text as the original audience would have understood it. And this, this will be a phrase you'll hear me say quite often. That's a A N E. It's an acronym for Ancient Near East. Okay. Uh, we call it the Near East. What's the Far East? China. Yeah. Uh, so so Asia is the Far East. The Near East is, is this area, and the, Bi the world of the Bible occurs around the Fertile Crescent, Mesopotamia, um, Israel, down to Egypt, parts of what we call Turkey, what the Bible calls Asia Minor. Um, that's that's so where it's... Saudi North, so more on the west of uh, Saudi Well, I think the, the wilderness where they wandered is, is probably that area. Really? Yeah, it is. <laughs> I think so. Because um, they crossed the Red Sea and then... But anyway, so that's just that's the world. It's helpful to... I'll send a map on the group because it is helpful to understand the world, to be able to picture it. And you'll notice there's a lot of mention of rivers, even right in the Genesis account. Water is very important because remember that it's... 
uh, water is life for all of us, but especially obviously in, in desert areas or areas where it's quite arid. So the, the, the rivers are mentioned. The bodies of water are important. Water is very important in Scripture. Um, Israel, it, the, the, the promised land is at the confluence of, of Africa, Asia, Asia Minor, which is towards Europe. It's on the primary trade routes. It's a very strategic position. And the Lord gives Israel the strategic position because they're supposed, they were supposed to be a light to the nations. Unfortunately, they didn't. Uh, do that. But this piece of land is a very profitable, very important piece of land. That's why you always have Israel being attacked and from from below, from the south, from the north, they're always getting attacked and then defending. But it's a strategic piece of land and water is very important. But we'll look at that in more detail when we come to it. Now, in the ancient Near Eastern world, we have archaeologists have discovered lots of things. So we understand a lot about the worldview of the time. And what was important was order in the cosmology. So cosmology is, is an account of creation and the world the way it is, how it came to be. Order is important. Non-order, there is no order, non-order, and disorder. Okay. So what's going on in Genesis is not you know, refuting evolution. Um, it's The authors are not trying to explain how God created everything. There, Moses is explaining why and what. Okay. Why and what. Why it is like this and what God did. Not so much how, so that we can... That's not the focus. It's not to say it's, not, it's, it's irrelevant to science or any of those things. But that's not his focus. He's trying to explain to the, the Jews who have been in, in Egypt for hundreds of years, so much so that they've actually forgotten God's covenant name, Yahweh. They've actually forgotten his name. They know there's a God, but remember when they go into Exodus, they, they worship golden calves, and they call these calves Yahweh. We know in Egypt they worshipped cattle. It's one of the plagues, but we'll, we'll get to all of that. But what's going on in Genesis chapter 1 is God is bringing order out of non-order. So you see in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Okay, so there is the material already there. God creates the material, but it is not ordered yet. And what Genesis 1 gives us is God ordering the world, forming the first three days. He forms different spheres Sky, land, water. And then he fills those spheres in the next three days. Stars, sun, um, birds, fish, animals, humans. He is creating order. Okay? He is also, through this creation narrative, confronting the false gods of the pagan cultures. Okay? What things did the pagans worship? The sun, the stars, astrology. Okay, big. So now what is what is what does this account tell us? No, God made those things. Okay. They're not gods, God made them. In fact, God creates light first. Remember that. He actually creates light first, and then he creates stars and the sun. Just again to show that He is He is the creator. They worship animals, they worshipped rivers. Remember I just told you water is really light actually. They worship light, they worshipped Water was important. Remember the Nile River was, that's why it's, it's one of the first plagues, the Nile River, because it was life. Okay? Uh, and you can understand how people can worship these great things. I mean, the sun makes the most sense to me. I, would, I mean, it's a great thing to worship if you're just <laughs> going to worship something. Uh, but the creation account is there for these, these people who've come out of all this confusion, they're surrounded by all these voices, all these gods, all these ideologies. And right here, there is the, the, the account of God is the creator. Um, 
These are not to be worshipped. These are not gods. The other thing is that our, the other creation accounts that we have were all violent. So there would be, uh, you know, this one god killed this other goddess and then used the carcass of her body to create the world. They're very gruesome and very vulgar, many of them as well. But when you come to the Bible's account, it's beautiful. And it's all good. There's no violence. Remember, over and over again, the Lord said, it was good. It is good. It is good. Then when he comes to man, uh, the gods, again, the view was, the gods made man to serve them. So that, so some of the, the cosmologies were something like um, the... The gods created this planet and then they got like, we have to look after it, but we don't feel like looking after it. Let's create some slaves to look after it. Okay. <laughs> so they create these people. So it's not a high view of man. Um, and let me just say, if it's not a high view of man, it is a very low view of woman. Okay? They are, they're not, they don't even you know, come anywhere on the scale. Okay. Um, even in the Jewish, later on in, in Judaism, uh, the, the, the testimony of a woman was not even taken into account. Okay. So if there was a crime committed, they wouldn't even ask a woman. They didn't value her testimony at all. The Greek, Greek mythology thought that women were a curse, actually, on man. So that women were created as a judgment on men. Now, what do we find when God creates man, man and woman? What does it say? It's very good. Is very good and they are made in the not just the man but the woman this is radical okay? maybe not so radical to us today maybe it doesn't but you need to understand the world that world this is all radical no violence these things are not to be worshipped I'm the God who made all of these things I'm in complete control and it's a good creation men and women are made in the image of of God. Okay. It's a glorious account. It's an incredible account. And it's confronting their false worldviews. Okay. Does that make sense? Any, mm. any questions on that? So, I mean, if he gave them all of this, why were women still? Because that was not the Jewish culture when Jesus was around. So, I'm, I'm just saying, so yes. he explains all of this and tells them male and females equal. And they made both made in the image of God. Yeah. And yet all their laws and stuff, women had no rights. It's human nature. So we we don't obey God. That's what it comes. The Jews did not obey God. They didn't love Jesus. Remember that Jesus said, If you knew God, you would love me. Yeah. So that's this that's what we do. So we know stuff, it's whether we obey or not. That's the issue. Um so, um, and, and let's, you know, it's not like that. It's all the way through scripture. There are obviously, um, you know, godly people, but at the time of Jesus and of course, throughout scripture as well, there's also very wicked people just as today. Um, so it's a, it's, I think, I don't know. I hope that this helpful to understand the, the beauty of Genesis, as opposed to it's, you know, fighting over six-day creation and it's against evolution. We're missing something so beautiful. It's actually confronting the false gods. Uh, it's overthrowing them and showing the beauty of God's creation. Now, I do believe it's a literal six-day creation um, because it's, it's narrative. It's not poetic. Uh, the only poetry is when when uh, um, uh, when Adam sees Eve, mm -hmm. then he breaks out into poetry. This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she came from man. Uh, and so we we in chapter two, so Genesis chapter one is giving us the big picture. Chapter two gives us and zooms back in. It's like a it's like a. A, a journalist story where they, they give you the details of a story and then they come back to the, I mean, so they give you the big story, the headline almost, Sorry. and then they come back in, yeah, to zoom in on something. That's what's happening in chapter two. So the six days, the seventh day, God rests. 
Um, so six days he works, seventh day he rests. Um, and that's then the pattern for, for mankind. And that's still binding on, on, on all people. Okay. Um, to work six days and then to, to rest on the, on the seventh. The chapter two then goes into detail of the creation of woman. Okay, so Adam is created from the ground and then he is pointed back to the ground to care for it and to look after it. Eve is created from a rib, okay, from Adam. And uh, Matthew Henry, the, the commentator, said, uh, Eve is, ta- is not taken from a bone in Adam's foot for him to crush her, nor is she taken from a bone in his neck for her to control him, but she is taken from his side, close to his heart, for him to love her, and under his arm for him to protect her. Okay, so quite beautiful picture, I think. <laughs> uh, so she's created, and then she's created from Adam and brought back to Adam. So there's already in this creation account, you have a picture of the roles. The man is to taken from the ground and pointed back to the ground to, to work and provide. The wife is taken from Adam and pointed back to Adam to support, to be, the language is, the old language was, was a help meet or an appropriate helper. The, literally the Hebrew is, she is the same but different. She is the same but different. So, um, somebody has said it's like two jigsaw pieces. You know, if you um, have a two jigsaw pieces, if they were exactly the same, it wouldn't work. Okay. If, uh, but they both have to be jigsaw pieces that are the same, but slightly different. And that's, that's true of the, the, the two genders, the two sexes. And again, that's important just to say, there's male and female. That's how God created. Yes. Also, I'm going back to Matthew Henry's analogy of the heart. With the Hebrew understanding of the heart, um, literally suggests that it suggests the idea of love as well. Or is that just Matthew Henry's? Oh yeah. Likens. <laughs> um. So the the no, he's he's um. That's a later bit. So the. The, the, the Hebrew word is your stomach. Okay. Um, and, and they actually, and it makes a lot of sense because just think of things. When you feel something, where do you feel it? No, I'm not the stomach where we feed them. <laughs> In your gut. When, when, you, when you're scared, you, f- you know, we say butterflies in your stomach, you feel a chair or... So you can understand why the ancients thought like that. They didn't think the mind, you know, that's where everything's happening. They really thought, so, you know, literally the, the, it's guts. That's what they, <laughs> what we interpret as heart is sort of, in Greek it is heart, but in, in, the, in the Hebrew it's, it's more like your, your inside. But in the Hebrew view, your heart is the control center of your whole being. It's not, it's more a Greek development where the heart is your emotions and the mind is your intellect. But the Bible doesn't go against that. So if you read Deuteronomy 6, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength. When Jesus repeats Deuteronomy 6, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, body. So he adds the, he adds the mind. Remember, the New Testament is written in Greek, and so they to a Greek audience, so it is, it is both. But that is, yeah, it is a later development. Um, so the rib is near the stomach. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't say anywhere in the scriptures, it doesn't talk about the rib being close to the heart or anything. Mm-hmm. He, that's just something he's, he's um, deduced. Okay, okay so <clears throat> that's the... Um, uh, Genesis 2 then we have the beginning of uh, work, we have rest recreation we have marriage male and female a natural man and a natural woman uh, we have um, different roles and then the end of chapter 2 ends like this 
Verse 29-25 And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And so it's almost a throwaway statement, but it's actually huge. Okay. It has huge implications as we go through Scripture. They were naked and were not ashamed. Totally vulnerable. Absolutely no fear. So that's a shadow and a type for when they are ashamed. No. Not. No, that would be a shadow and a type that's fulfilled in, in our relationship with Christ in the new heaven and new earth. Okay. Not that we'll be naked, so this is an interesting thing, that we are clothed, but we will be never, never be ashamed again. Okay. So, so, interesting, one of the main themes you'll see as we go through Scripture is shame. Okay. People are, there's shame over sin, there's shame over just not being able to have children, not being married, um, sick, leprosy. Those, in those cultures brought shame. You know, if, a, if a woman didn't get married, it was a shame. If, if they, she couldn't have children, it was a shame. It, it was frowned upon. And yet you find, as we go through scriptures, it's those people that God goes after. Okay. He goes after those who experience shame. Uh, and it's a beautiful picture. And so he, he meets with us in our shame and our sin. So it's beautiful. They're told there's two trees. They're not to eat of the, the one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, we know the story, chapter 3, then they, they sin. Satan comes, questions, you know, did God really say? And it's always Satan's way. He wants us to doubt God's goodness. Um, he wants us also to um, make ourselves, because remember what he says to her, he says, he knows when you eat of it, you will be like God. But what did Genesis chapter 1 tell us? They're already in the image of God. What is Satan getting at? He's saying, you can be like God, you can determine for yourself what is right and what is wrong. And that's the same today. I will determine for myself what is right and what is wrong. No one else can tell me, and, and you know, there's no God to tell me. But that's the root of sin. I won't listen to any authority. I will determine my own uh, set of values. Not accountable to anyone. Not accountable to yes. That's what's going on there. He's, he's seducing her because she is deceived. The scriptures tell us that Eve was deceived by the serpent. But she begins to, because God doesn't explain why, does he? he doesn't say, don't eat of this tree, the fruit of this tree, because of, he just tells them, don't do it. Okay. And there's a temptation in all of us, I'll only do it if I understand it. I'll only obey God if I understand, but anyway, I'm, that's Sunday's sermon, so you can, you can, come, you can come on Sunday. <laughs> uh, but she takes, and, uh, um, you know, I heard one pastor say, he always thought Adam was off playing golf somewhere, you know, while, while Eve was being... But when you read the Latin, in the Hebrew, when Satan says, you, it's plural. And then when you read, it says, and she gave it to the man. He was right there. Adam was right there, reneging on his responsibilities. He was to care for the God and protect his wife, you know, get baddies out the, out the way. But he's watching quite sinister to see what will happen to to Eve and then he eats and uh, it's called the, the fall um, yeah so he, he uh, <laughs> and we all died in Adam and Adam is held uh, as he was not deceived okay so we'll get to that when we get to the epistles when it, the application for women in ministry where Paul links it straight back to this account Eve is deceived, but the man was not deceived. He still sinned, but he was not deceived. Um, so keep that in mind for much later. Okay. Wait, so Eve isn't sinning? No, she is, but it seems as though God would have overlooked it um, if Adam had not also sinned. It seems that there was... was because it wasn't that she ate and suddenly her eyes were opened. It's once he ate 
that their eyes were opened. And then remember, what did they do? They were ashamed. Suddenly, fear, no longer vulnerable, covering themselves. Um, so Adam is willfully sinning. <laughs> yes, Adam is willfully sinning. Um, and then the Lord, remember, he, he, he kills animals to clothe them. So that's a picture of Christ. Mm. Sacrifice of an innocent animal to cover their shame. Uh, and that's what happens in Christ. He's innocent and yet he dies for us. Um, there are consequences to their sin. and um, But there's also hope. Pastor Michael, do you believe mentioning hope now that um, God redeemed Adam and Eve when he clothed them? Yes. And also that there's elements of faith, which we'll see now. Okay, so... He redeemed them when he clothed them. They were uh, well, I think that so so he gives them the promises. So so I've jumped ahead. He, he closed them after he's first done the cursing and the promises. But he says he curses the snake and he curses the ground. He doesn't actually curse Adam and Eve. But there are consequences. So for Adam, work will be rough. Okay. Thorns and thistles, sweat of your brow, frustration of work. So work is not a bad thing. A lot of us think, oh, work is a consequence of the fall. It's not. Work, God created work. It is a good thing. And, and we all know that, actually. You know, when, when work works, it's wonderful, isn't it? It's very rewarding. Yeah, it's, there's something. When you do a project or you, 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 know, you get the order number or whatever it is, you, you um, select it for the team, whatever. It, it's, it's, it's a great thing. Work is a gift from God, but because of... Sin is going to be, it's not always going to go well. Actually, mostly not. <laughs> yes? Is it written down? Or? Uh, no, it's not. Uh, Sorry. Cool, cool. Uh, do you want to mute? Yeah. Uh, Yanita, you can ask your question. Is it Janita? Janita. 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 Uh, do you want to ask a question? All right. Do we have any other questions on online? I heard some voices coming through. I'll have any problems. All right. No worries. Sweet. Okay. Uh, just drop it on the uh, in-call messages there. And um, yeah, awesome. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. So um, verse 8, verse 15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Oh, sorry, sorry, I said, and there's consequences for the woman in childbearing, um, pain and, and um, suffering. And then also, uh, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. The, the desire there is not a positive thing. It's not like you're going to really, like, really desire your husband. <laughs> uh, it's, it, yeah. <laughs> this is this they is a to they desire to 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 conquer them. Um, we know that because in chapter four, um, when we have Cain and Abel, uh, the verse seven: If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door; its desire is for you. So obviously sins does chapter two verse seven. Chapter four. Oh. Okay. So sin's desire obviously for us is not that it loves us. Its desire is to conquer us. Um, and so it's not a positive thing. And this is so because of their sin, the gender wars start. Um, and the ruling here is not a positive either. It is clear that the beginning there was it's a hierarchy. The the husband and the wife. The husband is to lead. But it's a loving leadership it's like christ it's a sacrificial leadership but this leadership now because of the gender wars will not be loving okay so a woman will desire to rule naturally sinful state and then a man will will naturally sinful state be cruel okay so um not good but this is genesis the book of beginnings it's showing us where everything and this this is the only perspective that makes sense of the world. 
We're in the image of God. We can do amazing things, incredible things, beautiful things, and yet terrible things, horrific things. How is it we can do these? It's because we're in the image of God, but it's fallen. Okay, it's marred. So we still have value. We still honor. We should still honor human life um, and, and respect what is beautiful and good and true, but also be aware of, of the wickedness. So, but what God does is in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God has to put enmity between Satan and mankind. That's his grace. Because since the, because of the fall, there's no enmity anymore. We're buddies with Satan. Okay, we know it's Satan. You might be saying, oh, it's a snake. Well, Revelation says that old serpent, the devil. Okay, so... This is the devil. Naturally, there's no enmity. Jesus even says to the Pharisees, you're of your father, the devil. Okay. Um, but God in his grace puts enmity between the devil and Adam and Eve. And then he promises, and he has the gospel, the first gospel. Um, he shall bruise your head, uh, head and you shall bruise his heel. Better word is crush. That's the word. It means to compress. So that's why what, this is one of the major themes. What we're now looking for, imagine you're reading for the first time, is a serpent crusher. Someone who is going to come and make things right. It's going to cost him, it's going to crush his heel. But he's going to come from the woman, the offspring of the woman. But now we also have two races. The offspring of God's people and Satan's people. So you don't need to go all weird that you know, the devil slept with Eve and that, okay, that's not, <laughs> it's, it's in the character of, it's not some weird thing. Yes, the question. Um, I've got two questions from online. Okay. All right. All right. So, so, we've got, so, we've got, oh, sorry, I was muted. There you go. Uh, so we've got two questions. We've got Andy um, uh, who says, uh, God said they would die, but then they didn't. Uh, please explain. Uh, so that's one question. And then. Um, questions are pouring in wrong. Uh, so the woman is not cursed, but the pain of the childbearing is a consequence of the curse of the ground. Uh, please clarify. Do you want to go one by one, or can I keep going? This one yeah, let me go one by one. All right. Yeah. So, so yeah, they First don't. They, die. they don't die. Um, no, no, I just muted my. Um, can you can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So he they they don't die. So, um, the, the, they do die. It's interesting that none of, nobody lives more than 969 years. Nobody gets to a thousand years. And scripture says a day is as a thousand years. So, um, I think there's something to that. Nobody ever lives to a thousand years in, in, in scripture. Um, the, the, the other thing is they do eventually die physically, but they, they believe God. They believe the promises of God, uh, as we'll see just now. And so, for the Christian or the believer, uh, death is separation. That's what death is in Scripture. Okay. So even on a physical level, death is separation of your soul from your body. Okay. But proper death is separation from God in hell. They never experience that, I would argue. I believe that they're, they're saved. But um, uh, they do die. And, and you could argue they do die within a day, one of the Lord's days, okay, within a thousand years. Um, the other one is there are consequences to sin, and there always are, but they're not cursed. Adam and Eve are not cursed, so they're not damned. Okay, that's, that's what we mean by the curse. Um, whereas the creation is cursed, it is going to be burnt up, Peter says. Uh, the serpent is cursed. The devil, there's no hope. You know, the devil's not going to be saved one day or anything like that. Um, but Adam and Eve are not cursed. Um, they, but there are consequences to their sin. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Um, with regards to the four, Satan went against the order of God. He took a form of a serpent which the man had dominion over, and he went to the woman to deceive her, not the man who was the head. 
So this is from Janita. Yeah, yeah, very good. So it is interesting that, so you see that there's a, there's a reversal in, in God's order of the man, the woman, animals, um, plants, <laughs> mineral. Uh, that's the order. Uh, there is a reversal in that order. And interestingly, that um, the consequences are in that reverse order. Uh, however, when God speaks, he, um, earlier on, he, he keeps the order. He speaks to Adam first. He confronts Adam, what have you done? And then he says, well, it's the... Um, the woman you gave me. Um, yeah. So he, it's very bad, actually, because he says, it's the woman that you gave me. It's actually your fault, God. Um, and then, and then she blames the serpent. But, as I said, believe that they are, there's hope. But here's, the, here's this is the important theme. What, what we're going to be looking for now is, and you're going to see that there are two lines. There's the godly line and the devilish line. And that's still the same. There's either people who belong to God or who belong to Satan. In the simplest terms, that's the reality. Either you're in Christ or you're not. Uh, and and so we're going to see this line, these two lines all the way through, and we're looking for someone who's going to make things right. Now we, okay, we, we cheat because we know it's Jesus. <laughs> but imagine you didn't know that, and you're reading through Genesis for the first time. They then believe that um, there's, there's a, a when, when she falls pregnant with Cain, she says, I've gotten a child from the Lord. Or it can be translated, I've gotten a man-child, the Lord. So she believes that the child, that she believed the promise. And Dave, uh, Adam believes the promise because he calls her Eve, the mother of all living. He doesn't think, oh, we're just going to die. How can we trust God? We're going to die now because of what we did. No, he believes. And God says, you're going to have offspring. And he calls, he changes her name. He calls her Eve, the mother of all living. And she believes when she falls pregnant and she gives birth to Cain. I've gotten a child from the Lord, or I've gotten a child of the Lord. This is the one. Okay. Now, if you're reading for the first time, you're also thinking, maybe this is the guy. And you know the story. It's not. So Cain and Abel. Um, we don't have time because our time's running out, so we're going to go quickly. Um, it's a, it's a very, very interesting story that I find most of us don't really think very deeply about, but let me try quickly to, to paint it. Uh, Cain sacrifices, offering is rejected. Abel's is accepted, um, and the Lord confronts Cain. If you do what's right, etc., etc. If you do what's right, you will be blessed. Okay. So now you're reading it, you think, oh my goodness, I wonder what's going to happen to Abel, because he did what was right. I wonder what blessing he's going to get. What happens to him? He gets killed. Then the Lord protects Cain. He puts a mark on him and says, if anyone touches Cain, sevenfold judgment on you. Doesn't make any sense on one level. How is it that the good guy who did what was right and is supposed to be blessed gets killed? The bad guy gets protected by God. Either God's a liar and we're wasting our time and it's all nonsense. Or even here in this early chapter, we're, we're being pushed beyond this world to say, wait a minute. God cannot lie. Abel is blessed. How is he blessed? There's something beyond this physical realm, eternal, eternal life. Abel is blessed. Judgment will be done. So, so Cain got to live a long life and do many things. But he, for thousands of years now, he has been in torment. And Abel has been in, in glory. So even here in this early story, we are being pushed to think eschatolo eschatologically. So that's a big word. It means uh, to, the, to the, the last things, the study of last things. Okay, how it's all going to pan out. So what it's saying is, whatever injustice you experience as a child of God, whatever suffering, you will be blessed though but not necessarily in this life. Okay. So that the Puritans used to say, if you're a Christian, 
this is your hell. This is as bad as it will ever get for you. Okay? If you're not a Christian, this is your heaven. This is as good as it will ever get for you. Okay? It's very, yeah. And so as Christians, we need to think like that. It's not about this life. The blessing is coming in the new heaven and new earth. Okay? Things get worse. So that you have a guy, Lamech, who's the first polygamist, who boasts about murdering a boy who insulted him. And he boasts about, well, if, 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 if you killed Cain, and the, the punishment was seven times, Lamech will be 77 times. He even writes a poem about it to his wives. So already now we're starting to see things go south quickly. Um, but alongside that are technological innovations. Cities, music, so they're starting to mine, um, and, and we'll discuss that in another time. Um, and then we have lists of genealogies, um, and we have this man, Seth. And so Seth is actually the godly line. A Abel is killed, he was godly. Seth is the one who takes over. So Cain's line continues, but Seth is now the godly line. And we have Enoch in that line, and then we have Noah. And Noah is a type of Christ um, because it's prophesied that he will bring rest. Okay, And Noah then, the world is so bad. Remember what we spoke about, order, non-order, disorder. It's become disorder. Disorder is, uh, so non-order is when it's, um, the Egyptians saw the desert as non-order. Okay, So that was the view. There's non-order. But it's not disorder. But you need to bring order. Disorder is when you're act actively breaking the order. And that's what sin does. And man starts to do that. So the scripture said, the thoughts and intents of his heart were only evil continually. And so God brings, it, it, he does deconstruction or decreation with a flood. So remember the, the beginning, Genesis 1, the earth is without form and void and water covers it. The flood takes it back to, to that. God decreates. It's a reversal of creation to start again. Okay? And it's an act of grace because man has become so wicked. It's like removing a cancerous tumor. Okay? And he preserves Noah and his family on the ark. And um, very interesting, remember in Genesis 1, we have the spirit hovering over the water. The spirit is the one who brings order and beauty. In uh, Hebrew, the word for spirit is ruach, which also can be translated as wind. The same in, in Greek as well, pneuma. Uh, at the flood, remember, God sends a wind. Ruach. So the spirit again brings order. The, the Holy Spirit, like the, the, the Holy Spirit, yeah. R-U-A-C-H. Uh, let me just say that, again, people have said, oh, it's a local flood. Uh, that doesn't make any sense because afterwards God promises to never do this again. Well, if that's his promise, he's done it a lot of times. Okay? If it's a local flood, again, it's a worldwide flood. God promises, I will never again destroy the whole world with a flood. Okay? So Noah, his three sons, their wives, they then, uh, now we're thinking, remember, looking for a serpent crusher, maybe it's this guy. It's looking pretty good. He's a righteous man. How do we know it's not Noah? What happens? Yeah, so he plants a vineyard. It's not, not a problem in that. But he gets drunk. Okay. And then his son uh, sees it, exposes his nakedness. We're not really sure exactly what that means, whether it's just he mocks his father, humiliates him, or it's something more sinister. Um, that is... Um, so the three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, that's Ham. Uh, interestingly, when, when uh, Noah finds out, he does not curse Ham. He curses Ham's son, Canaan. Do you think that has importance to the original audience? Canaanites. Where are they going? They're going to, to the land of Canaan to destroy the Canaanites, who were cursed hundreds of years earlier by God. Okay, so 
again, you see the, the importance. Now they're understanding, okay, why is this, why are we doing this? Uh, what, what God does through Israel at that beginning is not some arbitrary, you know, jihad and we just go and kill everyone and take over as many countries as we can. They only do it this one time because it's an act of justice. God is using Israel as an instrument of justice on the Canaanites to, to, because of their wickedness. Okay? And, and they had become very wicked. Child sacrifice, uh, abominable things. Okay, so it's a worldwide flood and things go back as they were in chapter um, 8. There is a covenant made with Noah and uh, it's really a reiteration of creation. So God had told Adam and Eve to be fruitful, to fill the earth, to take dominion, to care to care for the planet, to be good stewards. Um, in fact, the language, the words that are used are the same words that are used of the priests in the temple. To, to care for, to look after, to steward. And so that's why we say that the garden is actually a, a type of temple because God would come there in the cool of the day. He would be there and walk with them. And they were priests. They were there to, to look after things and to tend to everything. But they were also to take dominion. Okay. But uh, dominion can have a very negative sort of view. It can have a very sort of dictatorial, ruthless idea. That's not the biblical view. It is to be a steward, to care. It is to bring order out of chaos. Uh, but to, to care for those, the world, the creation, one another. Through serving. Through serving, through just protecting, through wisdom. Um, so it's reiterated, but there are some extra things added. Because of man's violence, and it's interesting, most judgment is because of violence in Scripture. Um, the, when nations become violent, then God judges them. Um, the, the death penalty is implemented. Okay. So um, to protect people's life, the value of human life, you, if you kill someone, then you forfeit your life. If you murder someone, okay, and then they're not allowed to to drink blood, okay. So, um, and that's those things are repeated in in Acts, okay. Okay, so this covenant then is made. There are sacrifices offered, and then the rainbow is given, and uh, it's called a bow, and that's literally the same as a an, an archer's bow. It's the same word because it looks like a bow. Okay? And um, theologians have noted, which way is the bow pointing? If you were to put an arrow in, it points up, doesn't it? So that even within the, the covenant with Noah, God is saying, I will take on the consequences of your failure. Okay. Um, and so even within that, uh, we see again another pointer to, to Christ. Chapter 10 is the table of nations. There are 70 nations listed there. Um, and 70 is an important number that represent the nations. When, when, the, when the family goes into Egypt, there are number 70. When God sends out disciples, at one point he sends out 70 and he sends out the 12. So uh, people have noted that 70 or 7 often refers to Gentile nations and then 12 to to Israel. Okay. So, okay, then after that, they're also, so this is finishing off a couple of minutes, uh, a reiteration to Noah is, be fruitful and multiply. They're supposed to fill the earth with image bearers of God. That's who we are. We are image bearers who reflect God's glory to one another and back to Him. But they don't do that. They stay together and chapter 11 is the account of the Tower of Babel. And um, Babel uh, means gate of heaven. And they built this tower. It's a ziggurat. So it's not a, sort of the same as a pyramid. It's more like steps. Um, so that gives you the sort of idea. I'm sure you've seen them, the Aztec ones are like this. 
And the idea was that these were steps to heaven, the gate to heaven. Um, and uh, when, when, when um, Jacob has a dream about stairway to heaven, it's not a ladder like we think, you know, like that. This is what he, he saw. Okay? And um, you remember that Nathaniel in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus reminds him of this account and says basically he's the, he's the gate to heaven. Jesus is the gate to heaven. The Tower of Babel, they were trying to make their own gate to heaven. And it says here, they said in um, verse 4, let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. And so it was about them. And that all, all religion, that's not true religion, is about making a name for yourself. It's about your works, what you can achieve, your kingdom, your name. Whereas um, in the gospel, in Christ, it's about his glory. And the wonderful thing is that he will also make us great. Okay? But he will do it. Um, so I'll come back to this because it, it comes comes up several times. But God then confuses them, confuses their languages. And again, that's an act of mercy. It does bring disorder, though. Can you see that? It's a, it's a, it brings disorder. But then people then form and into different nations. And that actually prevents mankind from being worse than, than they are. So... When we are all united without Christ, we do terrible things together. We, we are worse. Okay? So this is actually God's grace to mankind to, to divide them. Um, when we come to Acts, we'll see that in Christ, with all the languages being understood, there's a reversal. So, so now we want to be united in Christ. In Christ. And in the new heaven and new earth, it will be a reality. All the different tribes and tongues, all the different languages, ethnicities. We will all worship God and understand each other perfectly. Um, okay, so that's where this section ends, and it's pretty negative, but there's a little bit of hope at the end. Uh, we are introduced to this man called Abram, and we'll look at him next week. Okay, I think let me just close. Yeah, I've got, I've got two questions. Oh, okay, yeah. All right. Um, so, question one. I've got a quote from uh, Glory Lair. Uh, just a quick, maybe unrelated question. What is your view on the giants, Nephilim, and the sons of God? Uh, question mark. Are the sons of God angels? Uh, yeah, so I, I, no, I don't, I don't think the sons of God are angels. It's not a hill to die on for me, but uh, when the Lord says we'll be like the angels, neither, you know, neither male nor female, that sort of, to me, is that, that they can't reproduce. You know, the angels can't reproduce with humans. Um, and rather that the sons of God, the reason God sent judgment, because the sons of God were marrying the sons of man, um, it's actually saying that believers were marrying unbelievers, which is all the way through Scripture is a problem, okay, and is for, forbidden. So that was, I think that's where the judgment came in, that the sons of God, which is a, the line of Seth, the godly line, the seed of the woman, they were now starting to, to marry unbelievers, and that brings destruction. So the, the giants weren't from angels sleeping with humans? No. What was understood to be that? It is a fairly common view. I, I don't know. I, look, um, let me say, I don't think so. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. I almost thought it said word for word that they lay, the angels lay with... That says the sons of God. So the sons, sons, of, God, sons okay. of God can refer to angels at times. Yeah. But um, remember that Adam and Eve had perfect genetics. Okay. So we have an idea of evolution that people back then were useless and terrible and we we're all getting better. The reality is, it's generally the other way around, they had the genetic structure... To produce all of us, billions and billions of people. You know how rich that, you know, I'm not an expert, <laughs> but anyway. Um, it's like uh, when you take a photostat of a photostat of a photostat, yeah. uh, it becomes Quality. distorted. Yeah. So human beings are the same. We become a photostat of a photostat of. So 
That's why our years are diminishing to 70 years where they used to be 900. And yeah. But even then, we're still like remarkable. It's not that we're all disfigured and, and um, it, it's, and we're still able to do amazing things. So I think that there were, well, I don't think there were giants. There were people who, who still had, I mean, just as today, there's certain cultures, the tallest people, the tallest nation are the Dutch. You know, they're genetically, they're, they're the tallest people. And then you get other, so, so there were groups of people with that genetic structure that they, they were just much bigger. Doesn't the Bible talk about the people of Anik? Yes, the, the, the giants. The, yeah, the sons, that's Goliath was one of them, yeah. Um, yeah. Something that I heard that helps everything make sense is because of Adam and Eve's perfect genetic structure, their kids were able to have kids with each other. That's right, yeah. It was fine. It was fine. And so it's not like if someone brings that argument, you know, yeah. Remember, was possible. Okay. Got one more. Okay. Uh, with regards to the free will uh, God has given us, how would you explain to someone that God is always in control and everything that happens, He already knows about it? For example, if they ask about chapter 8, verse 21, and classify that God, that as God, regretting. So, for example, if they ask about chapter 8, verse 21, and classify that as God regretting. Uh, so eight twenty one twenty one says, uh, and when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, "I will never again curse the ground because a man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done." Not sure. I, I'm assuming they probably actually mean another verse about God regretting that he had made mankind, maybe. Um, uh, so, um, we, we say that the language where God says he regrets something, um, you know, we even have, I think it's Isaiah 10, where it says the Lord regretted doing something. And then later, in the very same chapter, it says, um, I am the Lord I do not regret anything. You know, I, I cannot regret anything. So we, what we have to you know, put all of that together. And so we say that there are certain things that are anthropomorphisms or anthropopathisms where God reveals himself in human terms so that we can understand. So an anthropomorphism is something like the eye of the Lord or the arm of the Lord. It has to do with a shape, human shape, a morphous shape. So God does not have an arm. He does not have an eye. He is a spirit. Uh, anthropopathism, again, is a human emotion. To, so a way of describing God condescends to us. John Calvin said God lisps to us. He speaks in ways that we can understand. But one of the attributes of God is is his simplicity, that all his attributes are perfectly aligned and they're not to be played off against one another. Um, so uh, God, that type of language is God's explaining to us, but we mustn't take it to say, oh, well, God regretted um, because uh, God is absolutely perfect in all his attributes and all his emotions and is not like us. Okay. God did get angry. Throughout, especially um, Israel is constantly yeah. turning. So we, so when he, when we. God does show anger, and then. But he wouldn't regret it. Down. No, you know, I don't he's know. Maybe he's angry. He's justified anything. You know, yeah. I don't know. So, so, so yeah. So it's not. We're not saying God does not have emotions. It's yeah. that they never govern him. God is able to be at absolute peace and perfect love, and also angry, perfectly, at the same time. There's no fragmentation to God. So with things like regret, um, we don't push it to mean, you know, God made a mistake and uh, because God cannot make a mistake. Um, but we will come, come back to those questions when we, you know, when we have more time. But I think our time is up. Let me close this in prayer. Oh, Father, thank you so much for uh, our time together. I pray that it would have been a fruitful time and a helpful time. 
thank you for your word that you've given to us. Uh, just help us to love it more and to love you more. And uh, keep us all safe. Give us rest tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everyone. Good night. Thanks, guys. If your question wasn't answered, uh, feel free to pop it on the uh, group. Uh, either, yeah, on the WhatsApp group, actually, because the call closed, so if you need to share it, it'll just disappear, so you can just leave it on the WhatsApp I don't think group. Like, any admins can post. Uh, I'll change the oh, okay. Yeah. So it's, uh, the group will be open for some time, uh, and then uh, you can post your questions, and we'll close it off during you know, the week, and then when sessions are about to open up again, we'll open up.